Well, good morning again, everyone. Great to see you guys this morning here. And uh, as you know, we've been looking at marriage for the last four weeks or so. We've seen that God designed marriage and that it involves one man and one woman committing before God to come together as one. Marriage is a, a covenant commitment to your spouse that's intended to last for life. It's until death do us part, or as long as we both shall live. And when such a commitment is made, God joins the couple together as one flesh. And what that means is they become a a new family unit. And this relationship of marriage is meant to be the most rewarding relationship of all human relationships. I say human relationships because the the relationship that we have with God is really on on a whole nother level. But the marriage relationship is intended to be the most rewarding, fulfilling relationships of all relationships. Of all relationships outside of knowing God. But sadly, that is not always the case. Very often, what God designed as a good gift becomes somewhat of the opposite. The relationship of highest blessings becomes one of the greatest difficulties, and instead of being fulfilling, many people find marriage to be frustrating, difficult. They find it a a trial. And you know why what God has designed for good has become corrupted, right? It's because of sin. Sin is what makes marriage hard. When two sinful people come together into such close proximity, there's sure to be conflict. And what happens in the marriage relationship is that we block one another's idols, You know, we want certain things and our spouse prevents us from getting what we want. Or we don't want certain things and our spouse brings them upon us. And we protect our idols and our our spouse exposes our idols and so we fight to to keep them or we, we try to hide them so that so that it's not exposed and then that brings a hindrance into the relationship, right? When, when you're, when you're trying to protect something or hide something from your spouse, that, that union and that one flesh close relationship that God designed is hindered. And so sin makes marriage hard. <clears throat> and that's why young people, I, I often warn young people, Not to think that marriage will fix your problems, right? Don't, don't enter into marriage thinking that, that marriage in and of itself will make you happy. You know, if, if marriage becomes an idol, if marriage is something that you think is gonna fulfill your life and, and make your life happy and you enter into marriage that way, you will be greatly disappointed when you realize one day that your spouse is a sinner. 
And if you're not content in the Lord before marriage, then you will not magically be contented once you get married. And God is a jealous God. And He comes after our our idols. And He comes after our idols because He loves us and He wants us to set our affections and our loves on Him. And so He comes after our idols. And so marriage won't make you happier in and of itself, right? Marriage is not intended to be your God. Marriage is a wonderful gift from God, but it is not, it is not God. But marriage can be a great joy with God, right? Marriage is a great opportunity to glorify God, and we've seen that in our series today, but we recognize that in a sinful world, marriage is difficult or can be difficult. And so what I want to do actually today and tomorrow is I want to give eight tomorrow. <laughs> you can, you can come here tomorrow, but I won't be here. Eight. I want to, next Sunday is what I really meant to say. So t- today and next Sunday, I want to give eight encouragements for a thriving marriage, right? I want to kind of give you eight things that, that will help your marriage to thrive. Eight helpful exhortations to encourage you to to navigate marriage with another sinner you know from from the the bit of marriage counseling that i've done and and just from what i've seen and studied there's really typically five areas where married couples struggle right if 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 a married couple comes for counseling and they're having some kind of difficulty in marriage I can almost guarantee that one or all of these things are going to be the case. You know, there, there's five or maybe there's, there's six if you count raising children. Um, but let me just give you these five things. It, one of the, the first one is difficulty with conflict. And we're going to talk about that one today pretty much exclusively. Difficulty with conflict. The second one is marriage roles. And we talked about that last week and this week. When, when one or both partners aren't functioning in their marriage the way that God intended. If, if the man isn't leading and the, the woman isn't submitting to her husband. If the man isn't loving as Christ loved the church, then in those roles, there becomes conflict or difficulty in marriage. Another one that, that is very common is communication problems. We're going to look at that and uh, next time. Financial difficulty is another place where conflict often comes into marriage. And then in the in the intimacy side of marriage is another place. And so those are the kind of the five major struggles, six if you if you include raising children. And over the next 2 weeks with these eight exhortations, we're going to cover those and try to help you to to be one in all of those areas, right? That's God's goal for us is that we would be one in our conflict, that we would be one in our roles, that we would be one in communication so that we're working together as one in our finances as well as and as well as in intimacy. And so these five areas almost always come up in some form when a couple is struggling in their marriage. And today we're going to just look at the first three of these eight encouragements. And my goal really in this next two Sundays is really just simply to help us all in our marriages, to, to encourage us 
in our marriages to do these things biblically, to handle these areas difficultly, to, to navigate them well for the glory of God. And again, if you're here and you're not married yet, or you're not married at all, and maybe maybe even plan to, to not be married one day, these things can still be helpful to you. They can still apply to you because most of these things will affect our other relationships in life as well. So if you're here and you're not married, I just want you to think, okay, well, how can I do these things in the other relationships that I have in my life? So we've got three encouragements for this morning for a thriving marriage. And, and the first one, I called it live gracefully. So number one, live gracefully. And what I mean by that is that one of the keys to a healthy marriage is to show grace to one another, right? To, to be gracious to one another. One of the, one of the best things that you can know going into a marriage is that you and your spouse are sinners, right? If, if you can go into marriage and just recognize that you and your spouse are sinners, it's going to so help you with a lot of things. Now, a Christian is only permitted by Scripture to marry another Christian. And I, I just want to cover this really briefly. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So 1 Corinthians, turn over to chapter 7. One of the things that, that 1 Corinthians teaches in chapter 7 is that if you become a Christian, but your spouse doesn't, you're to remain married to the unbeliever. So if you're, if you're kind of going about your life and you get saved, but your spouse doesn't, you're, you're to remain married to the unbeliever. And so that's, look at verse 12. He says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord. And, and what he means there is that the Lord in his life didn't say anything about this particular thing, but it's still inerrant and inspired scripture here. So to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, the Lord didn't speak to this when he was on the earth, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And then we could just skip down to verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And so the Christian is not to divorce an unbelieving spouse. But if the unbeliever separates, if the unbeliever doesn't consent to live with the believer, you know, that is, if the, if the unbeliever divorces, then we're to let it be, and that's okay. And we'll, we'll talk more about this when we get into divorce and remarriage. But when a, when choosing a marriage partner, a, a Christian is only to marry a believer. And so there's a times where, where Christians might be married to an unbeliever because of this. But when a, a Christian is choosing a spouse, they're only to choose a believer. And, and you can see that, for example, in 1 Corinthians 7, 39. So just kind of at the end of that chapter, it says there, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. 
So a widow is free to remarry, but she's only to remarry in the Lord, only in the Lord, or only to a believer. But the thing is that even though we are married to another believer in the Lord, we know that they will still have sin in their lives. True believers are new creatures in Christ, but we still have the remnants of our sin. We still have the flesh in us, right? We are not in the flesh, but the flesh is still in us. And I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time this morning proving that we wrestle with the flesh. I think you all know that. But let me just give you one one verse here. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. First John 1 and verse 8, John here speaking to believers, and he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Right? If we say that we have no sin, if a believer says that they don't have any sin, they are deceiving themselves and the truth is not in them. We as believers, we have sin and we're to confess those sins to God. Look at the next verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so God is in the process of cleansing believers from all unrighteousness. And that means that you and your spouse are both going to have some uncleansed sin in your life. And your job then is to help your husband or to help your wife to put off sin and to be more like Christ, right? We're, we're If we're married to this other person, our job is to help them grow to be like Christ. Your job is to help them grow in their faith. Your job is to help them love God and leave sin. And that means first, you need to realize that they will sin, right? There's going to be times when your spouse sins. There's going to be times when your spouse sins even against you. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy but it's, it's, it's so helpful just to kind of come into marriage recognizing that. And so to live gracefully, the, the grace that I'm talking about, that grace means that you're going to bear with them. Grace means that you're going to be on their team in their fight against sin. Now the opposite of this grace that I mean would be to condemn them, right? Or to, to write them off when they sin. Or to expect them to never sin, or to never, never to, or to, to expect them never to battle, or to expect them never to struggle, right? That's, that's kind of the opposite of a, the gracious attitude that God calls us to. And so if your expectation is for your spouse to be entirely sinless, you know, to be honest, you're expecting more than the Lord. Now that's a bold statement, and, and in one sense, the Lord does expect perfection, right? And, and we ought to be utterly like Christ in every area of our lives. That's the, the right thing to do. Christ-likeness is the right thing for us as believers, 
But yet the Lord knows that we're not going to be perfectly like Christ in this life. And He continues to work in our lives, doesn't He? He continues to teach us and encourage us. And He woos us to Himself and He he woos us away from idols in our lives. And the Lord graciously shows us our sin. And at times He even disciplines us to draw us away from something that's that's leading us astray. But the Lord never punishes us, right? He has paid the penalty for our sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. And although He disciplines us, He never punishes us. And He never gives up on us if we are truly His. Now, we have really no excuse for our sin. And we ought never to say something like, well, I can't be perfect, so I, I, I won't try, right? That, that's the wrong kind of attitude. That's the wrong use of this truth. But we, along with God, recognize that we have a lot of growth to do. And we recognize that our spouse has growth that is necessary. And if God can be gracious with us, then we can be gracious with one another in our marriages. Now this grace that that we're talking about doesn't mean that we ignore sin, right? Just like God, God never ignores sin. Now surely then we're to we will often overlook sin in our spouse, right? There, there's a there's a time when the right thing to do is, is simply to overlook our spouse's sins. There will be many times when when we allow love to cover sin. And in love, we overlook our spouse's sin. Overlooking is a type of forgiveness. You know, let's say, let's just, for example, your spouse is tired or or worried or just maybe not in a great mood for some reason, right? You, you might just choose to leave it unmentioned. Sometimes that's the right thing to do. You might just... Un, not mention it and just graciously overlook it and continue to be kind to them. You choose then, if you're going to overlook a sin, you choose to not let it bother you as you seek to help them out. And, and maybe even as you seek to encourage them out of their, their not so great mood that morning. Other times, living gracefully will mean that you are to gently make your spouse aware of their sin. You know what? We often in our own lives don't recognize our own sin the way that others can see it, right? It's, it's so obvious to others, but for some reason we are blinded to our own sin. And, and when a godly, gracious husband or wife comes along and, and points something out to us, it can be a huge help in our battle against sin. And so grace will gently point out one another's sins. Grace will humbly point out another person's sins. And, and to see kind of the way to do this, I, I want you to go to Galatians chapter 6. And the women were looking at this already last week. Galatians chapter 6. Or maybe that's coming up this week. Maybe Jody's a little bit ahead in her study there. But next week you guys are going to look at this. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. It says brothers there, but it, it applies to both brothers and sisters. It's kind of just the ge- generic brothers. Brothers, if anyone is caught 
in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so grace, a a gracious person, doesn't leave us to sin or doesn't leave us in our sin. But it also doesn't condemn us for our sin. There's this this gentle coming along and, and restoring, seeking to restore the other person. You see, God's grace, according to Titus 2.12, trains us to renounce ungodliness. And so there's a, a school of grace in the kingdom of God. And it's a school of grace that, that makes us live self-controlled, upright, and godly in the present age. Now, the, the balance between overlooking sin at times and confronting sin at times, the, the balance there takes a, a great deal of wisdom, right? If you, if there's too much overlooking, then we might really end up letting sin reign in the life of our spouse, right? There, there's, there's a, we don't want to let sin reign in another believer's life. And so there's a, a time when overlooking, we can't do that. And we need to talk to that person. But if there's, if we're too much on the other side, too much confronting might overwhelm your spouse or exasperate them. And so we need to have wisdom in how to help another believer grow in Christ. And so what's the right balance between overlooking and confronting? You know, I'm not sure that I can exactly say. If you love your spouse and you you put their best interests above yourself and you are in prayer for them, I think you'll you'll find the right balance. Over time, maybe, maybe, maybe as you hear and, and you see the fruit of of how you're overlooking and confronting is going, you can kind of find the right balance. Now this, this gracious living with one another also, I think, can extend into preferences as well. Sometimes we have certain preferences that, you know, just from in, in the way that we do day to day things. And there's a, there's a gracious way to express your preferences to your spouse. And there's a not so gracious way to do that, right? You can, you can graciously, uh, uh, you know, tell your spouse that, you would prefer them never make that meal, right? Ever again, right? Now there's, there's a, there's a, a good way to do that and there's a, a not so good and helpful way to do that. Now, I don't know that I know exactly that thing. Jody's feeling super embarrassed that she's, no, you're doing okay. Uh, <laughs> and, and this, there's a, there's a gracious way to tell your spouse you know, that, that you don't appreciate what they're doing in a certain sphere of their life as well in, in the preference area. Now, we are, we are sensitive people, I think, at times. And so we, sometimes we just take a little bit of gracious correction, a, a little bit, uh, we're just too sensitive to it. And so we need to kind of learn how to help each other to overcome our sensitivity so that we can be a blessing to one another and learn what each other likes. And so that's kind of, that's this idea, this first idea of, of how to have a thriving marriage is you need to have grace with one another. You need to live graciously and you need to recognize that you and your spouse are sinners and that you will sin. 
I think in that you need to recognize that you are, because of your sin, you are the greatest problem in your marriage. Now, and so you need your sin or you need your spouse to help you with your sin. And so, so graciously help one another in your battle with the flesh. Graciously help one another as you seek to be more like Christ. Now, number two then, the number two thing to, to help you thrive in marriage, second encouragement for a, a thriving marriage is number two, confess thoroughly confess thoroughly <clears throat> now let me ask you something just to to those believers here do you want to grow to be more like Christ just think about that for a minute do you want as a, a believer do you want to grow to be more like Christ and i, I think every true believer answers Yes, but perhaps there's a little bit of trepidation about how that process will look, right? You know, it, it's never comfortable for our, our sin to be pointed out to us. But every Christian does want to be more like Christ and less sinful in their day-to-day lives. True Christians want to honor God by being like Christ. And that means that there's at least a part of you that wants your sin exposed. You know, it's always hard, but it's really for our good because the more that we put off sin and walk by the Spirit, the more we will enjoy God, right? The more we get rid of our idols in our lives, the more joy we will find in knowing God, the more we will live lives that are worthwhile. And so your best friend should be whoever helps you overcome sin in your life. And that person should often be your spouse, right? Your closest person, your best friend, the one that you are one flesh with. And so you want your spouse to help you overcome your sin. And so when your spouse comes to you and, and graciously points out some sin in your life, or, or when your spouse comes to you and graciously points out something that they would prefer that you do or not do, then you should be thankful for that. You, you shouldn't get defensive about it, right? Because you know that you're a sinner. You, you know that there's sin in your life. And so we need to be learn, learn to be thankful for that kind of confrontation that happens. We need to be thankful when, when somebody points out some sin to us or asks us about a sin so that we can put that thing off. Now, I, I know it's hard. And even as I'm telling you that, I, I just, I don't want you to all come and, and point out my sin in, in the next, you know, right after this sermon. Um, but but we we ought never to be surprised when there's some sin remaining in us, right? If we recognize that we're not utterly like Christ, then there's many things in our lives where we need to grow. And if we can acknowledge that we aren't perfect and that we have sin, right? First John 1 John 1.8, if we can acknowledge that we have sin, then we should be glad to have it pointed out by a loving brother or sister and especially by our spouse. Now, when your spouse comes and, and graciously tries to point something out or just asks you about something in your life, you should take that thing to heart. 
Right? Whenever someone asks you about sin that they believe might be in you, you should take that seriously and, and seriously consider it. You should examine yourself, right? Scripture teaches us to examine ourselves. And I would say examine deep, right? Other people, even your spouse, they can only see what you do and say, but you and really you alone and you and the Lord can examine your heart. You can examine your thoughts and your feelings and your affections that other people can only see the fruit of. And so listen now, th- th- and, and this will really go so far in improving your marriage. If you have sinned against your spouse, whether they confronted you or not, if you have sinned, you should make a good confession. And that's what I want to talk about when I, when I say confess thoroughly. Make a, a good confession. We should examine ourselves and examine our hearts and then confess our sins. And we confess them first to God, right? We confess our sins to God and then we confess our sins to those that we have sinned against. And a proper confession makes such a difference. And this is so important in marriage when we have two sinners together. L- listen to the difference between these two hypothetical confessions, okay? Listen, listen to these, the difference here. Num- number one, I'm, I'm sorry for being grumpy this morning. You know, I'm, I'm sorry for being grumpy. You know, if you and the kids would be quiet, I could get some work done around here. <laughs> you ever heard a confession like that? I, I, I'm sorry, but, but man, you really messed it up. <laughs> right? Um, or number two, I, you know, I, listen, honey, I recognize that I was grumpy this morning and I shouldn't have been. I shouldn't have said that thing that I said, whatever that thing is that I said. And, uh, you know, I was anxious. You should actually confess the thing that you said, but I couldn't think of something that I hypothetically said. So let me start over again. I, I recognize I was grumpy this morning and I shouldn't have been. I shouldn't have said that thing that I said. And, you know, what, what was going on was that I was anxious about getting my work done and I wasn't trusting the Lord and I took it out on you and the kids. And that was wrong, honey. Would you please forgive me? Right? You see the difference there where the, the one sin goes deeper and even examines the heart and what was going on in the heart that, that caused the, the harsh words. And it wasn't blaming the other person. And at the end, there's actually a, an asking for forgiveness rather than just saying, I'm sorry. Now, I can't remember when we talked about conflict if I shared with you the seven A's of confession, but we're going to do it again this morning if I, if I did or not. The, the seven A's of confession, and they all start with the letter A, makes them easier to remember. These come from The Peacemaker, a great book by Ken Sandy that helps deal with, with biblical conflict resolution. And so here's the, the seven things you want to cover when you make a good and godly confession to your spouse. If you've sinned against your spouse, here's, here's a good confession. And the first A is address everyone involved. And this is just general. When you've sinned against somebody, or if you've sinned against multiple people, right? If it's your spouse and the kids, or whoever it is, you should address and make a confession to everyone who you sinned against. The next A is avoid if, but, or maybe, right? That's the 
you know, I was grumpy, but if you would have done better, I wouldn't have been grumpy, right? That That is not a good confession. So you avoid if, but, maybe, and and you just own your sin. If you sinned and you're confessing it, just confess your sin and maybe later you can talk to your spouse about the part that they played because it always does take, like they say, it takes two to tango. It takes two to have a conflict. Probably if there's a bit of an argument in the household, both people did something wrong, likely, not always, but you can deal with that part later. When you're making a confession, you just own what you did. And you want to, the next A is admit specifically. Admit specifically. Um, admit your specific sins that you believe you committed against the other person. And, and, and that would include sinful attitudes, sinful words that were said, sinful actions that were done, right? The, so we're dealing with the heart and the the things that were done externally through our mouth and our actions. So your your attitudes, your words, and your actions. And, and you just admit that. I I was grumpy. I said something I shouldn't have said. I did something I shouldn't have done. And then the next A, number four, is acknowledge hurt. Acknowledge the hurt. Express Sorrow for the way that your sinful actions affected the other person. Okay? So, I, I was, I, you know, I was grumpy. We're gonna keep going with this example. I was grumpy this morning and, and I recognize how, just how that would, you know, create a damper on the whole household, right? And so, I'm acknowledging that, that what I have done has brought, brought, you know, ungodliness into our home or wh- or whatever it is i'm i'm ex- acknowledging that that my actions hurt you and so i'm i'm acknowledging that and then number 5 accept the consequences right if you are truly sorrowful for your sin then whatever the consequences of those sin of the, of that sin is you're going to accept those consequences whatever it might be right remember zacchaeus when when he got saved he says, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give half my goods to the poor, and if I've wronged anyone, I'm gonna restore it to them, right? And, and, and there was some kind of fourfold or fivefold that he was gonna do that, and so Zacchaeus accepted the consequences of his sin, and that, that's what we do when we make a proper confession, is whatever the consequences of that sin is, we're gonna accept that, we're gonna own it, we're gonna recognize that those consequences are our fault for our sin, and, and not something that somebody else is putting on us. And then number six, and this one's really important. It's called, just to get the A in there, they call it alter your behavior. And the idea here is that you're gonna, you're gonna change. You're gonna, you're repenting of this sin, right? It's not a true confession of sin if you just say that you did it, but then you're gonna go and do it again in the next 10 minutes or next week or whatever, right? You're not really dealing with sin properly. And so a proper confession has a plan on how you're going to truly turn from this behavior. And so you're, you're going you're gonna to alter your behavior. You're, you're saying, the thing I did is wrong. Now, you might do it again, and, and, and there's, there's, there's got to be some room to grow in that, but, but we can't just say, Oh yeah, I sinned and, and then leave it at that. We need to make a plan on how am I going to fight this sin? What am I going to do to stop this sin? 
And so you make a plan on how you will t- truly turn from this behavior. And if it's something that's, that's like a, a besetting sin, that's a, a continual thing in your life, then maybe you need to, that plan needs to be to get some outside help, to get some counseling, to get, to get, um, you know, to talk to somebody who has some wisdom in dealing with that sin. And so there's number six, alter your behavior. Number seven, the final one is, is, is ask for forgiveness. Right, a, a true confession ends with, "Will you forgive me?" And now you're asking that person for the forgiveness. And, and and I hope just from just going through that, that can you see the difference that it makes to confess thoroughly? You know, if you've sinned against your spouse and you have and you've dug the depths of your heart and you you do all of these things that that scripture and I have scriptures for all of these, but I'm just not giving them to you right now. But the but when you when you do this, what a difference it makes to your spouse. How how much easier it is to forgive when when we've kind of covered and confessed our sins thoroughly. True confession shows the other person that you see your sin as sin and that you're going to turn from that sin and that you have a plan to turn from that sin. Now the the next encouragement for a thriving marriage flows really from this one, and that's number three, to forgive fully. Forgive fully. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3... And verse 12 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. These are just a great general verses for us to, to think of and follow. Put this, put these things on. Compassionate hearts, kindness. This is really covers everything that we've looked at this morning. Humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also, so you also must forgive. Very similarly, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And forgiveness is really so important in marriage. Because without forgiveness, marriage really breaks down, right? Our, our relationships are going to break down. And if we're called to forgive one another... What does that assume? The, you know, the, the context here is in the church, right? Forgiving one another in the church. And what does that assume? Well, it assumes that there's going to be times when we sin against one another, right? If, if we're to forgive one another, it assumes there's going to be times in our lives when we sin against other believers or when other brothers and sisters in the Lord sin against us. And if that's true in the larger body of Christ, how much more 
will forgiveness be necessary between a married couple? You know, typically when we're alone with our families, that's when we let our guards down, right? That's when we kind of can, can be who we truly are. We're more likely to sin in front of our family than when we're with our, our brothers and sisters at church. Now, I'm not saying that that's, that should be the case, but that often is the case. When we're entirely alone, that's, and only God sees, that's really who we truly are. But we also recognize that, that sometimes we're not alone and we're with other brothers and sisters. And in the, that, that close context though of the family, that's where we typically let our guards down and, and really be who we are. And that's where we're most likely to sin against our spouses and our families. And so if we need to forgive and, and be forgiven in the broader group of the church, when we're typically more careful, then we will need to forgive and be forgiven by our spouses. So what does it mean to forgive? Or how, how do we forgive? And forgiveness should start really by recognizing first, just like it said in Colossians, that God has forgiven us. Right, that we sinned against God and, and He's forgiven us. And God has forgiven us much more than we will ever need to forgive somebody else. I, I believe at some point in our, in our year here together, I, I taught a little bit on the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. I don't know if you remember that parable, but the, the, that's where the, the master um, forgives a, a, a servant and then that servant goes out after being forgiven a, a huge debt and he goes out and, and demands payment for the, the tiny debt that another servant owes him. And the whole point of that thing is that if we truly recognize what God did to cover the penalty for our sin, then we'll have compassion for those who have sinned against us. Right, if you recognize the enormous debt that God paid for your sin to, to cover your sin, to wash your sins away, then it makes it so much easier to forgive those who have also sinned against us. If Jesus bore the wrath of God for you, surely you can forgive anything that somebody did against you. If Jesus is willing to forgive your spouse for the sin that they committed against him, surely you can forgive your spouse as well. Now when we, we think about what it, what is forgiveness, what does it mean to forgive? Forgiveness is a promise, and, and really we could break it down into really four promises. And this also comes from the peacemaker, Ken Sandy's book. The, the word itself, forgiveness, just means simply, or at least one of the Greek words for forgiveness means to release, right? To, to release something, to let something go, to, to even send it away. And, and what we do is the, the offense of sin is what we send away. So we have been offended by somebody's sin against us, and we now release them from that offense, and we send that sin away. And so when we forgive, we, we promise the person four things, and you could write these down if you want. Number one, we promise, I will not dwell on this incident. Okay, so when I forgive somebody, I ha- am promising them, I'm not going to dwell on this incident. I'm not going to meditate 
on this incident. You, you know how we can, you can dwell on, on what somebody did against you and you can just, you can just think about it over and over again and go through the feelings and the hurt and, and, and all of the pain of that thing kind of come back again. Well, forgiveness means you're going to promise to stop doing that. You're going to, you're going to promise not to dwell and meditate on the offense anymore. And so number one, I will not dwell on this incident. Then number two, I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. You know, next time, next time we get in an argument, I'm not going to bring this thing up again and kind of, and use it against you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, bring up all the baggage. If I've forgiven it, it's gone and I've let that go. And now we're dealing with a new thing. So I'm not going to bring this incident up and use it against you. And that's really what love is. Actually, I want you to go to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the, the famous love section there. This kind of not bringing up an incident to use it against somebody. This is really a part of what, what love involves. 1 Corinthians 3, 4 says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, now notice in verse 5, at the very end of verse 5, it says, love is not resentful. And there's probably a little note in your Bible. If you've got the ESV Bible, there's a, probably a note with that word. And that the ESV note says, does not count up wrongdoing. So love doesn't keep a list of wrongs done against it. When, I, when I'm loving somebody, I'm not keeping a list of everything that they've done against me. And, and especially when it comes to forgiveness, forgiveness means I, I promise not to bring this incident up and use it against you. Now, I, I might bring it up again. There, there's a, there is a time where it's okay to bring something up again, but not as leverage, right? Not in bitterness or not to use against that person as a weapon. Maybe to, to help them see at times a, a pattern of ongoing sin in their lives, but again, not as leverage, not in bitterness, not as a weapon. If I forgive, I say, I will, I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. Number three, the third promise of forgiveness is I will not talk to others about this incident. Right? I will, I will not talk to others about this incident. And, and the idea here again is, is that I'm not going to talk to others to hurt you. I'm not going to talk to others uh, to gossip against you about that thing. If I've truly forgiven, I'm going to cover up that incident and I'm not going to bring it up. Now there's exceptions again to this one, but, but the idea is, is if I have forgiven you, then I'm not thinking about it and I'm not bringing it up for others to think about. And so I will not talk to others about this incident. Number four is I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Now, this fourth one really comes into play, especially if this other person has come and confessed their sins and there's true repentance in their life. 
I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. You see, full forgiveness means reconciliation, right? It means that our relationship is restored, maybe even better than it was before. And so it means reconciliation. Forgiveness means a clean slate. It means there's nothing hindering our relationship. Now, you can forgive somebody and there might still be consequences for that sin, right? Forgiveness can be granted even like in, in like a court case or something. You can, you can forgive somebody, but they still need to pay the penalty for their sin in jail or whatever that might be. But, but forgiveness can be granted with your spouse. And, and especially with your spouse, forgiveness means a clean start. It means that that sin will no longer hinder our relationship. And anything less than that is, is not really forgiveness. Now, what if you forgive or somebody forgives you and the four promises are broken? You know, what if you make a promise but to, to forgive, but you still dwell on the sin or you still allow it to hinder the relationship? Let's say you're, you're forgiving somebody else. You're forgiving your spouse and yet you, you dwell on it and, and it, it is still hindering your relationship. Well, I, I think what you need to do is, is go back and, and tell your spouse, uh, confess your difficulty to forgive. For, confess your failure to forgive. Confess that you have been letting that thing hinder your relationship and ask your spouse to pray for you and, and recommit to forgive them for that thing. Now, what if on the other side, what if your spouse is having trouble forgiving you? What do you do in that case? Well, I would say if your spouse is having trouble forgiving you, then what you need to do is you need to go back and, and check your confession, right? Have you truly asked for forgiveness in a full manner? And if you go and, and you've, you've done that the best as you know how to do, then I would say, well, pray for your spouse and Sometimes we say the eighth A in the, in, in the confession is to allow for time, right? Just continue to pray for your spouse. Continue to show the fruit of repentance in your life for that sin and allow them time to fully, you know, commit to and, and, and fulfill the promises that, the, that they made when they offered to forgive you. Well, what we've, covered so far today could be called dealing with conflict in marriage or or dealing with sin in marriage. Since the fall, marriage has always meant two sinners being joined together as one. And even though there's difficulty in marriage and marriages are difficult because of our sin, marriage is still God's plan for the world. Marriage is still something that, that God wants. Marriage is still authenticated and approved by God, even in this sinful world. And physical intimacy of any kind is not permitted outside of the safety and security of the marriage covenant. Marriage is still God's design, but it has an added difficulty because of sin. And the good news for us is that as Christians... We are not enslaved to sin, right? We are not 
bound to our sin. We are new creatures in Christ. And as new creatures in Christ, we can change. Right? We don't have to continue in the same sins over and over again. We can change by the power of God in our lives and we can be made more like Christ every day. By the power of God, the Holy Spirit who lives in each and every believer, we can be transformed into the image of Christ. By the Spirit, we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. And Romans 8.13 is, is really important in that. It says this, it says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that really is the, the way for us. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. We need to mortify our sin. Only by the Spirit can we be instruments of grace in one another's lives. Only by the Spirit can we thoroughly examine and confess our sins. And only by the Spirit can we fully forgive when other people sin against us. And what this means then is that the thriving marriage is a marriage of two believers. A believer who's married to an unbeliever, I would say they can have a good marriage. And they can honor God in that marriage and they can find contentment and joy in the Lord. But the fullness of what we're talking about here is going to be missing unless you're dealing with two believers. And again, that's why God's Word teaches that a believer should never marry an unbeliever. And so if you're here and you're, you're not married yet, you're a single person here today, I would tell you to be careful. Be very careful who you choose as a potential spouse. Put godliness high on your priority list. Put it as really as high as you possibly can. And don't trust your own heart alone in this such an important decision. I would say involve godly, trusted, discerning people in the process. This is very important. And you could just ask anyone who's been married to an unbeliever how careful they think you should be, and they will tell you more careful. Because it's so, so important for a thriving marriage that both the husband and the wife be believers. And so if you're married then to an unbeliever, I would say pray, pray diligently, pray earnestly and, and show Christ in your home and God may save that person. And so, but pray for that and that's your hope and goal in that marriage. Now perhaps there's some here today who are married and, and, or maybe even on listening online who are struggling in marriage. And maybe you're hearing me say that the, the way to do this, the way to thrive in marriage is by the Spirit. And maybe you realize this morning that you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life. Perhaps you've named the name of Christ, but you, you haven't truly come to Him. Maybe you're here today and you have some form of religion, but no power. And the good news for you is that Jesus died to save sinners. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. He died to bear the wrath of God in our place. We deserved hell, but He took it for us. And having died, this same Jesus rose from the dead. And He's alive right now, sitting at the right hand of God. And He invites all who will to come to Him for life. 
All you need to do is to trust Him and Him alone for salvation. Trust this living person. Trust Jesus Christ. Trust Him to forgive your sin. Trust Him today to make you acceptable before a holy God. Trust Him to change your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. He will do it. He has promised to do it. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And if you believe in Him for eternal life, He will give you, or I should even say He has given you the Holy Spirit. And by that Spirit, you can then put off sin that displeases God and you can be like Christ. Not to earn salvation, but you can do that out of thankfulness for what God has freely given to you in Christ. And this then is the way to a thriving marriage, to by the Spirit put off this sin, to be gracious to one another, to confess our sins to one another, and to freely forgive one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. That's how to deal with conflict in a thriving marriage. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for our time together. We pray for our marriages, Lord, that You would help us to do this. We pray that You would change us and that You would change our spouse and make us more like Christ. We pray You'd help us to glorify You in our marriages the way You designed, that we would be gracious to one another, that we would recognize and confess our sins and turn from them and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we pray You'd help us to forgive one another when we sin against one another. Again, we pray these things, Lord, that You might be glorified in our marriages. I I pray for my brothers and sisters that You would be glorified in their marriages. We thank You, Lord, for giving us the spouse that You gave us. Because You, in Your wisdom, have sovereignly orchestrated that. And so we thank You for our spouses, that they are our partners to help us grow in this life. We pray that You would help us to help them and You'd help them to help us. In Jesus' name, Amen.